Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we could start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test and then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me because I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with zero dollars in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like is it gonna come into my life do I what am I gonna do about this to being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was gonna flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was gonna come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy so i'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes would love to connect with you on instagram my instagram's the shit show my 20s dm me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it and you can also leave a review on itunes i would love that today's guest is victoria i love chatting with her Victoria is a self-published author, advanced certified grief recovery specialist, creative creator, and podcast host of Grieving Voices. She's also a Reiki master, UMAP certified coach, end-of-life doula. She aims to use her strength and skills through a variety of offerings to help those whose life had been upended by grief and loss to go from surviving to thriving. And when she's not helping hurting hearts, you can find Victoria enjoying quiet living with her husband, three teens, and dog in rural North Dakota. We go into so many incredible things in this interview from what the catalyst was for her personal development journey we go into grief and ha- the myths of grief. 
And things we don't really realize about grief, we go into our relationship with alcohol and how to figure out what our intention is when we're drinking. We go into grieving a breakup and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Victoria, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there. Okay, so in the brief time before we started recording, we were talking about the shit show of the 20s. And I think your title of your podcast is brilliant. And that's why I wanted to be on here, because I think it really, truly is a shit show for all of us in some capacity. And mine is no exception. My 20s were no exception. And actually, it was more of a train wreck because I had a lot of grief and trauma in my childhood. And that really carried into my adulthood. I had a relationship in, in high school, later in high school, that ended up being kind of toxic and, you know, kind of took me several years to figure that out. But alcohol became my vice. And that was how I coped with my feelings and my grief and my trauma that I hadn't addressed since my childhood. And I, it took me then probably another, it took another 12, 13, I can't, I didn't do the math, but another more than another decade to even address the grief and trauma yet, you know? So yeah, I think we're just trying to figure ourselves out. And if you add on grief and trauma, it's really challenging. It becomes really challenging. And then if you grow up in a home where you're not allowed to express your grief or you're not or that's not emulated for you, or it's a toxic home environment, or you grow up around drugs or alcohol use or fighting, all of those things contribute to the beliefs that we grow up with and kind of have in our hearts about what a relationship is. Um, Because we have a relationship with everything, right? Money, alcohol, Mm -hmm. people, ourselves, right? So we can become very disconnected to ourselves really easily based on our environments and based on these beliefs that we've grown up with about how how to grieve. And it's usually not in a healthy way. We're not usually taught how to grieve in a healthy way because the adults in our lives haven't probably addressed their own grief. And so what do we do when we have all this emotional stuff within us is sometimes we project it onto other people. Sometimes that's our children. And so I, the reason why I do the work that I do, and I'm so passionate about is because of my own experience, but because there are these, I would say, well, in grief recovery, we call them the myths of grief, but there's all these, these patterns and these thoughts about grief that are passed down generation to generation to generation. And it's that cyclical pattern of behavior and beliefs about how what it is to grieve that gets passed down unless we learn new information unless we address our own grief and break that pattern and break that cycle I'm curious because I want to dive deeper until it was 10 years of like coping with alcohol it was like 10 that's like a long time to kind of be in that like actually it was even more than that because I was I was a mother using alcohol too, right? I, because yeah. I was a very introverted person growing up. And so like going into an environment with a lot of people and a lot of people's energy, because I'm highly, I was, I'm a, I was a highly, 
I am a highly sensitive person as well to other people's energy and emotions. And so going into environments with a lot of people, it's like, uh, like I get like, I can get very overwhelmed with other people's stuff. And so, and I wasn't comfortable in my own skin because I had all this stuff under the surface too. And so I would drink to relax, to let my more extroverted, playful self come out because that was more appealing to people than who I really am typically, which is more, more um, soft-spoken, more introspective. And I like deep conversation. Well, you go to a bar and people don't like deep conversation. They don't want to talk about philosophical things and the mystical stuff and, and all of that. And so, I mean, that's just not the place. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I really kind of dimmed my light a lot in that way. And alcohol was a way that I felt like I could blend in Mm -hmm. and, and be more extroverted, be more of what I was not (laughs) typically. And it worked for several years, for many years in my life was, I knew every drink special every night of the week. And I would go to work hungover, often late, often I would have to be called. I should have been fired from my job, but I wasn't by the grace of God, because who knows what, where I would have ended up truthfully. Like my license was almost suspended just because of so many fender benders and speeding tickets. So yeah, it was really, I was really in a downward spiral and I really didn't realize it then. I know now because I know now what I know now, but and when I was in it, if someone would have told me, Hey, I think you kind of have a problem. I'd been like, no, I don't, you know, you don't, you just don't see it when you're in it. And even when I was still drinking and here's the thing too, like we might think that because even like in my thirties when I, okay, so I'm a mom now I have three teenagers now, but when they were little, I had three children in five years and my husband was gone a lot. And so, and I was, we had moved. And so I didn't have, I had a, a few family members around me, but for the most part, I was very isolated and I didn't know a lot of people. And, but it wasn't until I got to know some people around and, and started to go out more or, you know, get to know people that I, again, I felt like I had to drink to be comfortable being around others and stuff. And it kind of snowballed and I would find myself I would be grilling because I do the grilling and I'd be having a beer. By the time I was sitting down with my kids to eat, it was, I would have a buzz going and that was the norm. And I'd get together with people and I would drink until I was puking and I puked almost every time I would binge drink. And so even if you don't, and I, I didn't drink every day, granted, not every day, but I, when I would crack a bottle of wine. I would drink the whole bottle of wine, but in my mind, I'm like, well, a bottle of wine, these are so small. It's like only four glasses, right? It's like, it's just four glasses, (laughs) but I would get a whole bottle of wine, but I would, I would reconcile that in my mind. Like this isn't a problem because there's only four glasses in a bottle. Right. And so I just didn't see, and I was putting myself in, in dangerous situations with driving. I did that also with my children and So you don't have to be an alcoholic, like a daily alcoholic to have a drinking problem. And I think that's what so many people confuse about alcohol use or any substance that people use to escape 
And in grief recovery, we call them STIRBs, short-term energy relieving behaviors. They're things that we resort to to feel better for a short period of time. And so whatever was not settled within me, it's, it's going to come out or it's going to either you implode or you explode. And so because I hadn't addressed all of this stuff and children bring up all of your insecurities, parenthood does, owning a business does. Just navigating these the phases and stages of life can bring up all of your insecurities in different ways and old traumas and old pain and all of that. And so if, unless we have a, a healthy way to cope with those things or we're taught those things, we will resort to things that help us feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like so much easier. Like it's so much easier to find those things versus to actually do the work on those things. And like, I'm curious, what was the moment for you where you're like, I'm done. Like, I can't resort to this anymore. Like I have to actually do the work on like what's underneath all this. Yeah. It wasn't until like two years ago. (laughs) So after doing grief recovery myself and working through and processing many of the relationships that felt emotionally incomplete for me, I realized that I needed to work on that relationship that I had with alcohol. And it started in my childhood growing up in a home where that's what people did. You'd bring everybody into a home and everybody would drink and play cards and that's, and they would get drunk and stupid. And that's what I grew up around. And it wasn't seen as a problem because it was, it was like on the weekends, right? Mm -hmm. And even if it's every weekend, it was like, it was no big deal. It's just what people did. And I think that's what, and I live in North Dakota and we have a very high binge drinking rate, especially among teens. And I, I see it. I see it. That was me too, as a teenager. And these kids think that it's just, it's not a problem because it's just on the weekends. Well, if you're losing your sense of agency, it is a problem and you do have a problem. And why do you think that you need it? And that was the question I asked myself, why? Cause I was still acting like that teenager going out on the weekends getting so drunk, I was puking and I'd be sick for two days, feel like a pile of crap. And I'm, I'm a parent. Like, what am I doing? And I asked myself, why do I think I need this? And I didn't have a good answer. And that's, that's the day that I decided I'm done. And I worked through my relationship with alcohol and I, for, it was 16 months, I quit cold Turkey and didn't have anything. And then I've since introduced alcohol back into my life, but it's intentional. I have, you know, two, I'm going to have two, I'm good, maybe three, but that's like all night. I'm not puking. I'm not, I can function next day. I can get up. It's a very different relationship. And I'm just saying that we can have an intentional relationship with alcohol. It is possible. Mm. And is there anything you do to like check yourself to like, am I trying to escape from something or am I just trying to enjoy, have a drink? Just, is there anything you do to kind of differentiate where you're at? It is, it is a constant. It is, it really is this, like this, you should see like this diet, like if there is bubble heads, uh, (laughs) like, like those, you know, like the bubbles above your head, like what you're thinking, like, oh my God, it would be like just constant. Cause it's, yeah, it's this dialogue that you have with yourself. It's like, on the one hand, it's like, I don't need this. I know I don't need this. For example, my birthday, right? It's my birthday weekend. I got together with my mother-in-law and my daughter. We went to play bingo, big, big party here. And she wanted to buy me a drink and I was going to get a pop. 
That was my intention. I was going to get a pop and she was buying me a drink and she was getting a drink. And I thought, you know, she doesn't drink that much either. And I haven't been out with her in a very long time. I thought, well, she's buying me a birthday drink. She's having a drink. I'll have a drink with her. And we had one drink, but it was like this, you know, it is this constant continual evolution and relationship that I will always probably have with alcohol because it has been such a part of my life for so long. And it's a part of my connection with so many other people too. In some instances, that's how we met like at the bar or even in a relationship. If you think of your love interest or whatever, if you've met them at the bar, like that's how you connected. And, you know, so if they later become an alcoholic, it's like, Hmm, well, you met them in the bar, <laughs> you know, maybe you have to ask yourself, maybe that's not the best place to meet a life partner. Right. Which I did not, by the way, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, I think it's just something that we have to take a step back and just ask ourselves some better questions, including why do I think I need this? Mm-hmm. That's true with anything. Yeah. I love that question. Cause it's so simple, but it's, it's a really good question. And like, let's say, you have a moment you realize it's you trying to escape from something it's not you realize that's kind of like the intention there what would you do in that moment like what would you start to would you start to go into that thing that you're trying to escape from or like what tips would you give if you you notice that that's what your intention is in that moment well then you have a choice to make right and doing nothing is still a choice and so what do you want tomorrow what do i want to look back and think about this this moment How do I want to feel about this moment in the future? You could ask yourself that question, you know, just doing some foreshadowing or forethinking because so often we just don't think about, because even the first time that I reintroduced alcohol, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it like, didn't like, it didn't hit me for two weeks. And I'm like, what did I do? It felt intentional, but yet at the same time, it's like, I gave up, is it 16 months of this commitment? What did I do? And so that I had to like, I had to reconcile with that. And, and again, it's still this, that's why I say it's a continual relationship with it. Anything that you still have in your life. And even if it's like a relationship with someone else and you've, they've passed away or you got a divorce or it was a job that you loved and you, you got fired or whatever it is, anything in the past, a relationship or connection, it's ongoing because you take those feelings that you had about that person or that relationship or that thing. And you carry that with you. So the relationship continues. It's just, even if they're, if, even if it's not tangible, or even if that person isn't in your life anymore, you still have that emotional energy around that, that person or that thing Mm. or that experience or that event, you know? Yeah. And when you started to realize that like there was grief going on process, there's all these things going on process. Like, how do you start to like, address the grief? Like, where'd you, where'd you start? Well, I think that's a journey that's unique to everybody and it's not going to look the same for two, this, for two people. But for me personally, it was, I had another loss that kind of opened up because I thought I was doing, I, I was doing pretty okay. Like I'm fine. And in grief recovery, we say that fine or is feelings inside not expressed. And, and then I had this other loss and I realized you know, this is opening up a lot of old stuff for me. There must be something here that needs healing. And I knew I was not okay. And so I was, it took another year and a half or so until I discovered grief recovery and that changed my life. It was the one thing that, that really transformed my grief. 
and help me process and become emotionally complete with the with relationships because it's ongoing right it's once you've learned a method and you learn the tools you can use it for the rest of your life with anything any kind of relationship with anybody or like I said money alcohol things like that which I have I've applied it to those relationships and but you also learn a lot of education about grief and that's what I didn't understand And I think so many people don't, which is why I started my podcast, Grieving Voices, to help people understand grief in a way that they were probably never taught and to hear through people's stories how it's not just about death. We grieve things that anything that you wish would have been different, better, or more. And it's also the loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations. So that can be for a dream. That can be for a relationship. It could be for just you know, when you reflect on your own potential, like not meeting your own potential, that can be devastating for people. Or it could be, you're just constantly striving, 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 and you just never feel good enough. Well, why do you never feel good enough? Look in your childhood. There's, there's, there's belief systems there that were placed within you based on your environment and your experiences that have shaped those beliefs of not being worthy. And I don't know, did that answer your question? It's going to look yeah. different for everybody. Yeah. I tried therapy, like conventional. I did hypnotherapy. I, at one point I had a life coach. I bought a bunch of programs like Tony Robbins. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm a train wreck. I feel, cause I had a midlife crisis. Like in my, when my youngest started kindergarten and I was also closing a business, I kind of had a midlife crisis. So it was in my thirties. And that's really when my personal growth journey started. And I really doubled down on trying to figure myself out because I felt so screwed up and it was because of all that stuff I had never dealt with. And so, yeah, I got a life coach. I got programs and just really was on a quest to figure out who I was. And yeah, that was a, let's see, that was 2014, five years, five years. That journey was for me until I discovered grief recovery. So it felt like a long time. Felt like a long time, but yeah. What is different for everyone? Yeah. What is grief recovery? Grief recovery is a program that was developed by John James, and he, well, he's a co-founder, but he actually kind of started it. Um, He was a veteran, Vietnam veteran, and he was also married and had a child that that had died, and he was he was ready to kill himself. And he went to the beach and he was going to shoot himself. And he had a question pop in his head. What do I wish would have been there for me? And grief recovery, that's how grief recovery was born. Like he just started, he, he thought I need to create something that I wish would have been there for me so I can help others. And he was working as a contractor at the time. And so on his, when in his free time, he was talking with grievers and, and just trying to connect with people who felt like him, who felt the things that he was feeling. And through time, really develop these, these six myths that we are all really generally taught, because that's kind of how this pattern continues of misinformation of grief. And yeah, and so the Grief Recovery Institute was born, and it's been around for over 40 years. Grief Recovery Method has been around for over 40 years, but it's only been in the last, I'd say, last within the last 10 years minimum that has gone online. And so now it's really, you know, becoming more known, but yeah, it was the one thing that changed my life. 
And the reason why it's different than anything else is that it's action-based. It's educational and it's action-based. And so I knew going into it that I wasn't going to be on a therapist's couch for a year, two years, three years, whatever. And it, because you take action every week is a new, it just, it's like algebra, (laughs) it like builds on itself week after week. And it does get harder and harder as the weeks go on the deep inner work does, but it is, yeah, it's a deep dive into grief specifically. It addresses grief specifically. And I don't know of any other program that does that. It's actually evidence-based. Kent University did a study on it and it is proven evidence-based and proven to help people recover emotionally from their grief. And it's not about forgetting forgive. It is about forgiveness. A lot, a big piece of it is forgiveness, which is for you, which is very difficult for so many people, especially in cases of abuse, which was partially my experience. And, but it gets you there. There's, there's ways to help you address those things without sidestepping or disregarding which is often what people do when they bury those feelings is they're just resorting to other things to numb that pain, right? Or they minimize it or society minimizes it. Let's say pet loss or miscarriage. Those are two very minimized losses in society. Oh, you can get another dog. Oh, you can have another baby, you know, disregarding how that really feels, how that loss really feels to that person because that's a relationship. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible program and I love it. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And like, have you ever, did you ever feel any like judgment come up for you around like, this is so small. Like, why am I grieving something like this? Like maybe you thought like, oh, like this really isn't that big. Like, why does it matter so much? Like, have you had any of like that judgment come up throughout your process? Oh my gosh. My youngest going to kindergarten. Like I felt like I couldn't even talk about that. I mean, it was in in one hand, I was like excited, but then I felt guilt because I was excited because I had so much of my identity was wrapped up in my children. And I was, I was a work at home mom. Like I had a business. And so I, I was always with my kids. And so to have that, like that need to be needed greatly reduced now, it's like, well, what am I going to do? So I got a dog. I replaced that loss. And I told my husband, I need a dog. And so that's what, that's one of the myths of grief, of grief, replace, replace the loss. And that's exactly what I did. I got a dog. So my focus then went from my kids all day to training this puppy, which he's amazing. We still have him, but yeah, it's, that's what we do in grief. We find things, we find ways to cope and usually it's not healthy. You know, you lose a dog. Well, we'll just get another one. And for, for many children, that is their first loss. And for many parents, that's the loss that really helps them. It gives them an opportunity to educate their child about grief and allow them to express how they feel instead of just, well, that's okay. We'll go to the pet store tomorrow. We'll get another one. Well, that relationship with that first animal, that that was maybe their best friend. Let's say school isn't their favorite place to be, but when they come home, they feel safe and they feel secure and they feel loved by this animal, right? Like that animal's their best friend. And for some kids, when they lose that, it's devastating. And it is so often minimized or disregarded or swept under the rug. And what are some of like the other myths of grief? Don't feel bad. You know, and often when we see people crying, you want to hand them a tissue 
And what does that do? It actually stops the crying. Like it's like a subliminal message here. Stop your crying. It's making me uncomfortable. I don't know what to say or do. So here's a tissue, (laughs) you know, let people grab their own tissues, you know, let them wipe it on their sleeve, whatever they need to do. But stopping that emotion is not serving them. Yeah. Don't feel bad. Replace the loss. Grieve alone. That's a huge one, especially if you grow up and you're not able to express your grief because it makes other people in the home uncomfortable. So you learn to grieve alone. You learn that I can't talk about this because it makes mom or dad upset. And we talk a lot about 1% taking 1% responsibility in grief recovery. And that's important because when we grow up thinking that we are responsible for how somebody else feels, or we are responsible for making someone else feel a certain way, we then learn that they're responsible for making us feel a certain way, right? We learn that. That's a learned behavior. You make me so mad instead of being truthful about it, that I am so mad. So it's really reframing the language to be more honest because no one can make you mad. You allow your, you know, you allow your emotions to be, you give away a lot of your power too, by doing that, by, by allowing someone to make you feel a certain way. Like that's a lot of power you're giving away, but you have a 1% responsibility in that relationship by how you choose to respond to that anger. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a big part of grief recovery too. But for grievers who grieve alone, that's why my, my artwork on my podcast is me sitting on an island with a megaphone, because that's what grief feels like. It feels like you're just on an island alone. You're trying to scream to the world and no one can hear you. No one's listening. It feels that way. But it's because we all have grown up in this pattern of belief and behavior. No one knows what to do. No one really knows what to say. And so you may say things that are hurtful or harmful because you just don't know any better. You might hand the tissue because you just don't know any better. You might say, well, you can have another baby because you just don't know any better. Another one is keep busy. That's what a lot of people do to avoid or distract themselves in their grief is they just keep busy. They become workaholics. They just find things to give their time to, to avoid. Because what happens when you're alone, you think you're alone with your thoughts. And that can be be very saddening that can be confronting what am I going to do with these feelings oh okay well I'll just go shopping then I'll do some online shopping or I'll sit and watch reality tv for eight hours straight or I'll scroll Facebook for three hours (laughs) you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so we keep busy in those ways we also one of the other myths is time heals all wounds that's a phrase that many of us know if you say time heals or you say time heals all wounds like everybody knows that And it doesn't, it just, it's the action that you take in time that heals. It's not time itself. Time just passes. It's what you do in the time, in that time that matters. Yeah. And be strong. That's another big one. Be strong. I have to be strong for myself. I have to be strong for others. There's always that person in the family that seems to be the broad shoulders for everybody who thinks or believes that that's what they need to do. They need to be strong or people view them then as being strong. So then the helper doesn't know how to take help, doesn't know how to ask for help, doesn't know how to receive help. These are the always the strong one. And that's a myth. Like, what does that even mean to be strong? What does that even mean? What does that look like? 
never allowing yourself to feel, that's not ideal. You can't be, we're not robots. So what does that even mean when we say that? I'm like, what's a good thing to say to someone who's grieving? I'm here for you. How can I be here for you? How, what does support look like to you? Or seeing a need and just filling it. If they have a dog and they've always taken their dog for a walk and they're like consumed with funeral arrangements or they're consumed with what's happening in their life, I'm going to come by. I'll take your dog for a walk. Makes them feel good because their dog isn't, you know, to them, it's like, I'm neglecting my dog. And now I got to add that on to my grief too. Like now I'm a terrible dog owner because I'm not taking my dog for a walk or the dishes, just come and do the dishes or get a food chain together with friends. We actually did that for a friend of mine at a really challenging time, coordinated a food thing and just made meals. It felt good to, to be, people want to help, but if you don't know how, just ask, how can I help? Sometimes they don't know either what they need to. And so that's why I said, if you know that there's a need there, just fill it, just go and take your, take that person to say, Hey, I'm going to come get you. We're going to go to a movie. And a movie is a safe environment because you don't have to talk, right? You can go like go to a comedy and just sit there and be together, be in a movie or just sit with them and don't fix or don't analyze or don't criticize or don't offer advice. Just sit there and just be with them, be present with them. That's really difficult for people to do if they've never dealt with their own stuff because it's very confronting for them. It's uncomfortable. And so you have to kind of know what your limitations are as well, but maybe that's a clue to you. Oh, maybe you got some work to do yourself. And sometimes those people, there, there's not always going to be those people. People aren't always going to show up how you expect them to. And I think for grievers, that's a lot of why grievers isolate too, because they don't feel like they have someone that they can sit who can sit with them who can hold that space for them because it takes it can take a lot out of a person to to do that it doesn't take much time it doesn't you know it's not like you're having to yeah i just think that people complicate it maybe too much but at the same time not everyone is going to be that person for you if you're the griever and that's okay so how can you be your best friend your own best friend I love that. And like, how, how are some ways that we know that like there's work to be done? We have grief that's like being stored in us. What are some ways that we can see it kind of manifesting? Yeah. If you're resorting to those behaviors, shopping, alcohol, sex, relationships, uh, social media, reality TV, books, you know, if you're consuming book after book, after book, after book of, you know, romance novels or and maybe you just love romance novels, right? But I'm just like, if it's to escape, like, that's what I'm saying. You have to ask yourself, am I doing this because I, I'm avoiding feeling something? Exercise can be that. Work can be that. Gambling, pornography, any type of addictive vice, drugs, alcohol, you know, anything like that. Or you can start feeling it in your body. For me personally, it was like this overall pain that I had no explanation. I'm surprised I wasn't told I had fibromyalgia. It is my belief that fibromyalgia and things that are unexplainable is grief manifesting. It's stored energy, stored emotional energy. And so you can have migraines, um, heart problems, skin issues, 
digestive issues for sure, which was also my issue. When I was 16, I was told I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had grief. My dad died when I was eight. I was molested as a child after that. I had grief and trauma. I don't have irritable bowel, (laughs) you know, but that's how it manifested, right? I mean, I did, but it was manifesting from my grief and trauma. And so we either implode or we explode in our grief. We can have angry outbursts. That was me as a parent when my kids were little. I was, I, I would call myself a ragey mom. And I think there's so many, like when you just feel like you're in a pressure cooker, it doesn't necessarily bring out the best in you. And grief can feel like a pressure cooker. I've never used that analogy before. It's a good one. <laughs> it is a I'm good thinking one. About, I'm thinking about like, this is blow up. Like, it's just yeah. like a pressure, like we're releasing. Yeah. Well, in grief recovery, we actually <laughs> talk about the stirbs as being a tea kettle, you know, and when a tea kettle, once it, you have to release the steam, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, what happens, right? It just continues to whistle and the pressure builds up. So yeah, I guess we use that analogy, the tea kettle in grief recovery. But I just think in general, when you're under stress, when your life is feels stressful and your your body is under stress, like it feels like you're just emotionally, physically, mentally, just in a pressure cooker. Yeah. It wreaks havoc on your body. And I would say that a lot of the stress that we endure today is actually grief because grief impacts every area of our lives, our finances, our careers, our relationships with our loved ones, our relationships with friends. We don't show up the same way that we would or could if we dealt with all that stuff, that emotional crap that creates a barrier between who we truly are and who we could be in our relationships with others and with ourselves. I always say grief puts a veil over your face. You don't see yourself clearly. And I think especially in our early twenties, when we're still trying to figure out who am I add on grief to that or trauma, it's a very confusing time. And like I I mentioned before we started recording, it's like, no wonder the suicide rate is what it is. No wonder alcohol abuse and addiction is what it is. People don't know how to cope with being in the pressure cooker. I'm curious if you have any specific tips to like grieving after a breakup. Like if you have any specific things. Ooh, well, don't do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) I I lost my mind. I did. That's where alcohol use really, that's where it really got bad. And because I had no self-worth and I had no respect for myself and Yeah. So alcohol became my coping mechanism and in angry, I was very angry. I was an angry child. And when you're an angry child, you probably are an angry adult as well, unless you address your crap. Right. Mm -hmm. So what to do instead when you have a breakup is really, you have to take a step back and ask yourself, what brought you to that person in the first place? Because there's probably something about that person that you drew in. Your energy brought that person into your life. And I know people might say and roll their eyes to this, but there is no wasted experience. So I don't look at that toxic relationship as a wasted experience. I took that as, oh my gosh, I had no self-worth. I had no self-esteem. 
I was looking to this person to fill all of that for me. Hello. (laughs) I need to give that to myself. I need to find that within myself. So what do I need to do to address my lack of self-worth? What do I need to do? It's taking ownership of those things. It's taking ownership of your part in the relationship instead of looking at that person and they did this to me or they did that to me, which I did. And I used alcohol to cope with that anger, right? And that, and that disappointment. And that's a victim mindset. And that is taught to us. That is a learned behavior, but it can be unlearned. And so it really does take some introspection and reflection, asking yourself better questions and giving your time, yourself time and space to do that and not replacing that loss with something else or someone else off the bat. Like looking at the relationship for what it has taught you rather than for what it did to you. That's really hard to do in your early 20s. Yeah, so hard. <laughs> but when you become aware of those things, right? When you have that awareness, you can't unknow it. And so then you have to decide, well, what am I going to do with it? And not doing anything is a choice too. So then you ask yourself, well, what do I really want to call into my life? Do I want someone who's good for me, who will respect me? I think so many of us too don't even understand our own values, like what we value. And we don't recognize when we're dishonoring our own values. Like if I value honesty, but I'm not being honest with myself, I'm I'm dishonoring my own value of honesty. How can I expect that from from other people if I'm not even honest with myself? People are a mirror for us. They're just reflecting back to you what you need to learn about yourself. And when you have experienced grief and trauma before your 20s, I think it's really difficult to feel connected to yourself because that creates a lot of disconnection. Grief and trauma create disconnection. And so it's finding your way back to yourself, connecting to your intuition, your own inner guidance. Oh, I should have listened to my gut. I knew that person wasn't good for me. But again, there's no wasted experience. But oftentimes we don't even listen to those hunches we have. And in our 20s, it's really, we, we question a lot. We question our own intuition a lot. Because again, if that's not emulated for us, if we're not, if all of our decisions are made for us as kids, how do we learn to ever make a decision on our own? Actually, one of my kids is like that. She has such a difficult time making a choice. And I always remind her, do what you feel that feels more that you really want to do. I don't know what I really want to do. Well, these are your choices. You can't make a wrong choice. If you choose the one that feels more aligned with you and what you want to do, that's the right choice for you. So I'm, I'm finding my, I I couldn't have done that or been in that space. If I was still that raging mom, that's why it's so important. Like addressing your own grief is in a lot of ways, intervention for your kids. We do have a program. It's called helping children with loss, which is also intervention. It's for the parents or caregivers or caretakers or or school faculty to help them understand and sit with children who are grieving to recognize when a child is grieving teenagers, whatever. But I really do feel like the, the greatest service you can be to your kids is to work on yourself. And that's for anybody for in their relationships too. you shine brighter. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a final question for you. If you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell her? 
you will get to the other side of this and you will find purpose and alignment and all of the things in between is just a stepping stone to get there. Embrace the pace. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I did all the talking. (laughs) (laughs) I can talk about grief. I can talk about grief all the live long day. Awesome. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? I am theunleashedheart.com is my website or at on Instagram. That's my favorite at the unleashed heart and Facebook. And my podcast is grieving voices. It's for anybody and everybody who wants to learn more about grief. A lot of fascinating guests, interesting guests. Um, and people just, you know, person next door, right? We're all grievers. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're, I had the inventor of the cell phone on my podcast, Marty Cooper. I saw him on CBS Sunday morning and I thought, oh man, he's very interesting. So curious about him. And I followed that curiosity. That's another thing I would say is follow your curiosity wherever it leads you. But yeah, he's a fascinating human. He's like, well, I don't know much about grief. Well, sure you do. And he had a little bit to say about grief, but everyone's a griever. We all wish that there would have been something different, better or more about our lives or our relationship. And I've had a loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations for ourselves or for a relationship. We are all grievers in some way. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.